and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our great friends at Ditchwitch. Bass Edge Television is on the World Fishing Network, and we'll be back on the Versus Network in January 2009. And for all you Canucks up there freezing right now, don't forget we're on Wild TV every week as well. This is Outdoors Dan Young, along with the host of Bass Edge TV, Mr. Aaron Martin. And I understand we're chasing the Skeeter this week. That's right. Uh, 2007 BASS Angler of the Year, and that is Skeet Reese and uh, look forward to talking with him because he always has some great stuff to say. Well, that's going to be pretty good. We're going to have a good Inside Edge segment for you folks, and we've also got some great other stuff to talk about. So, Aaron, you ready? I am. Let's get it started. All right, folks, it's all right here for you on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that stuff gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay after it. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, welcome to the Edge Outdoors, Dan, Aaron, Martin, and you know, Aaron, with these economic times, I'm starting to recycle all my soft plastic. Boy, I hear that. How about this economy? I don't want to focus, you know, on uh, on the negative here, but uh, it's certainly causing, I'm sure, a lot of outdoor anglers and uh, sportsmen to kind of rethink uh, their purchases and, and spending habits. Well, I think a lot of people are still spending because I, I I know uh, it's full swing archery season right now, and I know everybody's still buying broadheads and arrows and everything else, and the, the guys I know are still fishing. You know, they're just doing what I what I just said. They're, I mean, instead of you know, if they get a rip in a swim bait or some of their uh, creature baits get tore up a little bit, they're bringing out the crazy clue. That's and, right. Instead of going out and. You know, I think things are going to turn around. I, I really don't think it's as bad as everybody, the media says it is. I, I just, I'll be glad when the election's over. I, everybody go out there and vote, get it over with, and I think things are going to start turning around because all the scare tactics are going to quit. I agree. You know what? And if uh, if it doesn't turn around, uh, at least all of us that's listening to the edge here will know how to uh, hunt and fish and Maybe have to eat what we. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to depend on that as far as we're concerned. Because yeah, you know, we, we might go hungry. <laughs> there's an old Hank Williams Jr. song that has a lot of a uh, lot of meaning to me, and you know, a country boy can't survive. So, folks, just keep it here on the edge, and we'll teach you how to fish. That's right. So there, you always have something to eat with Aaron and I. <laughs> hey, you know what? I understand that. Uh, speaking of something to eat, I hear you're eating a lot of crow on YouTube lately. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how dare you even bring that up? Yes, that is true. We'll go ahead and get that out of the way, Dan. Uh, somehow, some way, the boys back at Studio A, they're at Bass Edge. Thought it would be funny to put uh, season one bloopers out there. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. They can go out and enjoy. Uh, at our expense. So uh, is anyway, the Christmas tree boat on there. No, the Christmas tree boat. That's that. This is all the way back from season one. So oh. you know, season two, and then obviously we're in the process of season three now. They they've told me uh, and warned me of of what's to come. So how's Lake Murray? Hey, it's uh, it's going well. Um, been down here at uh, Lake Murray the last few days, and now actually heading over to Logan Martin in Alabama to finish up uh, the last leg of this trip. Then that will leave us basically with uh, with two more shows to go. But uh, now the fishing's great. Had a great time, and you know there's a lot of patterns going on right now. Shallow cranking, topwater spinner baits. You know it's it's just that time of year, Dan. Yeah, fast and furious. They're trying to get fat before the winter. That, that's right. You know the bait fish are on the move. Uh, 
kind of heading into the backs of the creeks. And uh, fish are really still a little bit scattered. Uh, I'm sure that has a, a, a little bit of a factor depending on where you're at geographically. But, you know, given the current conditions with kind of the fall turnover and the transitioning uh, out of the summer patterns into the fall, um, but I, I think we are just literally days away from this whole thing just uh, taking off. I, I know the people that I have talked to, I was just doing a seminar last night, and they said the fishing is some of the best. They've, and, you know, we've said this a hundred times this year, the fall is always our favorite time to fish. Oh, no question. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the fall and the spring are really mirror one another. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty neat, folks. So if you're out there wet in the line, I think you're going to be happy and you know, speaking of the fall and transition and everything, let's talk a little bit about maintenance on those trolling motor batteries. You bring up a good point there, Dan. I mean, this is the time of year, you know, if you think about it, the summer we've been sitting out deep uh, fishing offshore structure, you know, really having to kind of focus more, I guess, on concentrations of fish because that's how the, the seasonal conditions uh, have the fish position. Well, now they're scattering out, so, uh, you know, this is the time of year when we got to put those things on high a lot of times, cover a lot of water. Uh, to find those groups of fish and, uh, you know, start cranking, start spinnerbaiting, and really puts uh, a lot of tax on your, your trolling motor batteries. And so I just want to kind of throw a reminder out there to everybody to make sure, you, you know, you check those, uh, go buy uh, your local uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts or something like that, have your batteries tested, make sure those are well functional, because uh, if not, you're going to get out there and be broke down. And, you know, of course, we rely on the Superstar AGM batteries, which I know you do that in your uh, all-terrain vehicles as well. Yeah, my rough and tough. Yeah, yeah. those AGM absorb glass mat batteries, folks. They're they're just unbelievable. I mean, there's just no maintenance to them. Yeah, and so, and that that's the biggest thing. I, I know yeah. that uh, you know you can plug them in, get them charged, and I, I forget how far you said you could go on those things. I know I can sure cover a lot of water on all. Yeah, I get 50 miles on one charge <laughs> on my on my rough and tough buggy. Oh, that's nuts. It is nuts. It's crazy. Hey, you know what? Uh, what's this about this message room and chat room stuff? Well, uh, you know, we've had a lot of people that uh, have been sending us emails. Hey, you know, I, I started a thread, uh, mentioned you guys, you know, whether it be on the edge and upcoming guests, what's going on there. Just really within the entire Bass Edge community, upcoming episodes on the TV, what's going on on the website. A lot of our... Uh, fans and, and kind of team members of Bass Edge have been sending those in, and we so much appreciate that. So kind of what we thought uh, in doing is just uh, extending out there to, as kind of a thank you for being part of Team Bass Edge. Any of our listeners and, and kind of our fans that do that, if they would just simply send in an email to prostaff at bassedge.com and just include in that email just a, uh, a link to the thread of where they're posting uh, as well as their uh, shipping information, We'll get out some uh, cool Bass Edge stuff to them and uh, just kind of an appreciation for doing that. Well, that's awesome. Hey, yeah. Congratulations. That's neat. Yeah. Hey, and uh, don't forget, folks, Election Day is November 4th. Get out there, do your duty, and uh, let's get this country moving. That's right. And speaking of moving, uh, I'm, I'm ready to get to, to see what uh, Skeet Reese has to say. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Well, let us not repel another minute. <laughs> and uh, that was bad. Even I have to say that was a very bad fun so i'm sorry folks hey listen we're gonna get out of here go to the commercial we'll be back with our ingler interview this week is mr skeet reese right here on the end give any type of boat the edge with megaware keel guard it's simple to install and we can now beach our boat anywhere if you own a boat you need one of these megaware keel guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion from underwater obstructions even concrete boat ramps kit started under 140 dollars and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and our next guest is the 2007 Angler of the Year, ranked fourth in the world, rankings earning well over a million dollars from Auburn, California. That is Mr. Skeet Reese. Skeet, thank you so much for being part of The Edge. Aaron, what's up, man? It's good to be here. So what's new and exciting? Oh, man, I tell you what, you know, we're, we've kind of uh, reached that, that fall time of year, and I, I, of course, I know that means one thing for you, and that's a little bit of uh, downtime when it comes to actually competing, but probably not so much when it comes to, uh, you know, the promotional end of the business. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. The bass fishing, uh, that gets thrown to the wayside for a while, but there's a whole lot of business got to be done and uh, planning for next season and just, yeah, from the media, marketing, contract, tour preparation, there's a, there's a lot to it still. Well, and, and you know, that that's the ironic thing is because uh, we've talked about many times before, you know, you kind of get into the sport because that's what you love and that's what your passion is, and, and then suddenly you find yourself uh, dealing with some of the things that aren't quite so fun, but, but certainly... Uh, you know, depend upon that for you to be able to be a kind of a lasting success in the business, I guess. Oh, yeah. See, I'm a little twisted. I'm a little odd compared to the rest. I mean, I love the competition of tournament bass fishing, but I thrive on business. Uh, I love the challenges of business and try and grow it and, um, you know, try and take uh, SRI, which is my corporation, to a new level and just trying to do new stuff with it. And so it's, I, I, I enjoy the off-season because of the new challenges. Sure. And, you know, speaking of, of loving uh, the competition. You're a, what I would consider a veteran in the sport. You know, you've been at it for over, I guess, 11 years, and that, if my math serves me right, I think that dates uh, back to about the age of 28. But, you know, your start back then wasn't quite, I guess, as glamorous or mainstream as is the case now. Can can you kind of share with us a, a glimpse into those early days, if if you don't mind? Yeah, I see. Those that just come into sport and followed my career in the last seven, eight years, they think it's just it's all been roses and pots full of money um <laughs> and i'll tell you what i mean i i don't know too many people that have gone through the transformation as far as a fishing career that uh, mine has gone through I, I found out about tournament bass fishing when i was 12 years old and read an article about rick Klun and that he was a professional bass fisherman and at, at that point in time i was like that's what i want to do for a living and i pursued it and i went through a lot of heartaches getting to that point i, I came from a pretty low income family uh bounced around i don't think i lived in a house for more than two years uh, growing up um, just because we're always getting kicked out or couldn't afford that one so move to the next one so I, I, I grew up without and but I had the love of bass fishing so I always pursued it I grew up with, you know fishing out of a float tube a john boat those kind of aspects and once I did start tournament fishing, it, it was hard um, trying to go to school trying to you know as far as you know high school have a job and pay an entry fee much less a truck payment and rent and all those kinds of things growing up and I mean, I've had the repo man come and get my truck and my boat, um, bill collectors calling, but I was so stubborn that I kept putting those entry fees towards them tournaments thinking that, you know, I'm going to win. And I did win starting out. You know, I think I won uh, my first, you know, club tournaments and stuff like that when I was 15 to 18 years old. Then I won a BFL when I was 18 and a couple more. And so it was just, it always progressed, but I went from being homeless, not having a vehicle or a house to live in for you know, six months living in a van, going event to event to, you know, hardly any sponsorships and trying to survive to where I'm at today. So, yeah, I've gone through every facet of the highs and lows of tournament fishing uh, over the last 25 years. Well, and, and I think one thing to note there as well is just the geographic challenges that you were faced with. You know, obviously, 
the western side, I mean, there's some phenomenal anglers out there. I definitely do not want to take anything away from that. But, you know, predominantly back in the day, uh, bass fishing was, was somewhat of kind of a, an eastern, east of the Rockies to a, a southern dominated sport considering, you know, on the money, the financial side of things. Well, absolutely. I think, yeah, for years, it just pretty much most of it was, yeah, from Texas East. And there's always bass fishing out here. It's very popular. I mean, you had D. Thomas, you know, the father of, uh, you know, Flippin and Dave Gleeby and uh, Mike Fulsteads and, you know, there's a handful of other guys that, you know, they've been icons of the sport for years, maybe not as famous as some of the others. But as a whole, bass fishing was a southern-based sport and wasn't really recognized throughout the rest of the country, uh, not until the last 10 years, really. You know, and, and one of the things, in, in hearing that story and understanding that story, it's, it's no reason why, but you cite mental toughness as really your primary fishing strength. What does that mean to you, and, and really how does that serve you kind of when it comes to this, the sport of angling or the sport of fishing? <laughs> it's everything, dude. Yeah. Tournament fishing is nothing but a head game. Sure. Um, it's 100% like, well, I wouldn't say 100%. It's, I mean, there's definitely some physical aspects to it, but as a whole, it is, it's a mental game. And from a skill standpoint, a lot of us and most of the, you know, fishermen all around the country, uh, from club levels to regional levels, they all have the techniques down. They know how to flip and pitch. They know how to throw a crankbait. You know, a lot of them are becoming proficient with a drop shot. They understand all that. But it's how to put all that information, all those techniques to use on the water and make the right decisions at the right time. And that's the whole thing is be able to stay focused, stay confident, and make key decisions at key moments when you're on the water instead of getting frustrated and giving up and you know staying mentally tough. And it might be that last five minutes a day you catch one fish because you said you kept yourself in the game or it might be you're going out in a situation where you know there's going to be, you're going to be having to go through five foot waves for two hours um and knowing that that's going to eliminate half the competition so it's just it's all head games so it's just trying to keep yourself you know mentally positive and focused for eight hours a day of competition is it safe to say maybe for those of us who do not formally compete, or certainly not at the level of the elites uh, like yourself. Does it still come into play for the recreational angler? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's just fishing. It's the average weekend warrior that we have around the country that goes out there. First of all, they go out with it with a preconceived notion that how they want to catch them or where they're going to catch them, and that uh, a lot of times has. Uh, you know, has a, has a big downfall to it. Um, you got to go out there any given day of fishing, stay open-minded, and keep trying and adapting and changing your presentations, your locations, until you find something to catch a fish or get on a group of fish or a pattern, whatever it might be. But most people just give up. They get out there, they fish for a couple hours, they fish their normal baits and their normal slots, and don't get a bite. And I, ah, fishing sucks today. Well, no, there's always a bite going on somewhere. It's just how, how much time and effort do you want to put into it to make that day rewarding? Well, and, and you know, I, I think one of the, the topics that, that is discussed really nonstop across the industry, and that is that it's always a competition against the fish, regardless, really, of, you know, if you're paying an entry fee or not. Oh, it is. Uh, that's number one battle is that, if you can't catch a fish, you can't beat the other guy. Sure. No, it's uh, tournament fishing is is basically just strictly an ego, just as well as any other sport. I don't care if you play baseball, basketball, or golf. It doesn't matter what you're competing. You're competing to beat everybody else to be number one. That's all it is. It's, tournament fishing is just is strictly ego. 
Um, the fishing is the challenge of conquering and figuring out, you know, a living creature that lives in the water that has a brain of its own, that has its own environment that's affected by everything that Mother Nature does, and trying to put that million piece jigsaw puzzle together and or at least get most of the pieces together to where you say, aha, I got you pinned, I got you figured out this time, and you're mine. And that's, that's, the, that's the part that's rewarding right there. Well, and that, that leads me to my next point concerning, you know, consistency. You know, that is a trait that, that really um, a lot of us aspire to develop as anglers. And whether it be competitive, you know, or recreationally, in nature, you know, you've demonstrated that year after year. And I'm sure because of, you know, you place such high demands and expectations on yourself. But I think that that's, it's very evident based upon, you know, the angler of the year title, what you came out and did this year. Um, does that achievement of that goal require, you know, a thought process or line of thinking uh, that is different from just being average? Absolutely, 100%. A lot of guys are, have a comfort zone uh, with a technique or two, whether it's a flip of stick, it's a Carolina rig, uh, either a shallow water power fisherman or an offshore fisherman. When you find somebody that's more of a specialist like that, when it's their time, they're going to be very successful. I mean, you look at Kevin Van Dam, Denny Brower, Rick Kwan, you know, as far as the icons, Larry Nixon's. You know, when their type of bite's there, they're going to spank you and make you look stupid. But day in, day out, throughout the year, their, their bite's only there for a month or two out of the year. There may be a week or two out of the year where they, they can shine. The rest of the time, to be successful in catching a bass, you know, I firmly believe you have to be versatile. And that's the one thing that I feel like where I grew up, I had to be versatile. I grew up fishing Clear Lake in the Delta, shallow water power fisheries. Um, then I grew up fishing the Shasta, the Norvilles, McClure's, Don Pedro's, or deep, clear water man-made reservoirs, catching fish down to 110 foot of water, you know, on four-pound tests and little worms to swim baits, everything. So I grew up fishing versatile, but I also knew that in order to stay consistent and cash a check out here growing up, I had to be able to throw that drop shot or a split shot. I had to throw a swim bait. I had to throw, you know, have a flipping stick. I knew I needed to have those tools. And for people to stay consistent, whether they fish tournaments or not around the country, if they want to enjoy their time in the water and as far as being productive on the water, catching fish, it doesn't matter if it's bluegill, crappie, smallmouth, largemouth, spotted bass. The more you understand as far as different lures and techniques, it just gives you more tools to go out and catch more fish and enjoy it. So specifically, again, relating back to, you know, consistency, for you personally, does the thought of perhaps fishing not to lose versus fishing to win, does that ever, you know, enter into kind of your psyche or daily thought process? Yeah, it's just, for me, I fish, I mean, from a competitive standpoint, I fish every tournament the best that I can fish. If I feel like I'm on a group of fish to win, I'll know it, and I know that I got to push to get that one extra big bite to try and push me over the top, or just get that fifth fish. Uh, There's other times, I mean, yeah, I know I'm not a winning fish, and I'm cool with that as long as I know I'm on fish that I'm going to be competitive with and get a check and give me a solid finish to move me on to the next event. I don't ever leave fish to go find fish. If I'm on fish that I know that I can place well and have a decent tournament, the last thing I'm going to do is just abandon that to go find something I don't even know it exists. So I, I stick with what I know. I use the water that I've learned and I know, and I use that water to the best of my ability, maximize it, my performance in a tournament, and then 
if I maximize it and I feel like I got some time to go explore, then I'll do that in a tournament. And final thought, final question as we're, as we're almost out of time. You know, we use uh, the term in the zone. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, that's one of the names of the segments on, on, on Bass Edge Television Show, both here on the edge and then also just in the sport in general. You know, but when the day uh, and kind of decisions aren't necessarily flowing, how do you personally motivate yourself to continue, you know, working towards that, hey, you know, at any moment, any given cast, this can change? It's a never-ending process of information. When you know that there's times you know you're doing the wrong thing and then you're in the wrong spot and you feel, like, stupid for it, but <laughs> you keep doing it and you're like, why, why? And you have to be able to sit back and eat crow from yourself and say, okay, you're doing the wrong thing, making bad decisions, reevaluate what you're doing. So it's, it's kind of like having that personal the, meeting with yourself, I guess. Oh, dude, I have I got <laughs> mental warfare going on up in my head all day long. I'm, I'm, I got, well, yeah, I'm psych 101 in my head from daylight to dark. So it's, uh, yeah, you just constantly have to just be honest with yourself and your abilities and what you're doing on the water and make smart decisions off that. Well, uh, Skeet, certainly uh, you have made many smart decisions uh, throughout the course of your career. True consummate professional, thank you so much for your time on the edge. Great information and uh, certainly wish you the best of luck in the near future. Aaron, thank you. Good luck to you. You know, that's Skeet Reese. He's not quite in my earning potential, but, you know, he's getting close. <laughs> yeah, $1.2 million, you know, yeah. a few more. And uh, if, if once he breaks through that next tax bracket, Dan, he'll be there to join you. Well, you know, he, I'll let him in the club once he, he needs to get up, step it up a little bit. But, yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I don't even think I'll make that in my life. <laughs> but, you know, what's really funny, you know, he's really a nice guy. And, and most of the guys on the pro circuit are. They're, you know, 90, 99.9% of them are just great people. No and, question. Uh, and I'll even throw out there, Dan, that I think we've yet to have a guest on here that has not been just, uh, you know, we have not. professional. You're, you're right. We have not had one that's been. I mean, I, I just know from doing the radio shows and stuff, you get a, you get a rotten sinker once in a while. But, you know, it's neat to see somebody making that kind of money doing what they love and still have a good attitude. It is, and, uh, and you know, and I think that shows. I mean, he's ranked fourth in the world. Obviously, we've already talked about his career winnings. But, uh, you know, he's been a pro for 11 years uh, since the age of 28, and uh, he's he really struggled early on financially like he had talked about uh, in getting started. Well, a lot of us did. I mean, you know, you don't just—it just doesn't happen overnight. It took me ten years. Sure. I mean, and I'm no—and I'm not anywhere near that kind of level either. I mean, I'm in a moderate level, but well, look at you. I mean, poor boy from Sullivan, Missouri. That's right. You know, growing up on Denny. Yeah. And, and look at you now. And now I'm just a poor boy from Kimberling City. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, but you're moving yeah. up. You That's know, right. You, at least you can go to the barbecue restaurant. Yeah. Now. But, but he, you know, for, for starting out at the age of 28 and being ranked fourth in the world, and you got to just have mental toughness. And we've talked about that in Jay's book forever. You know, it's all it's your thought process. It's totally. And, you know, with him citing that as his primary fishing strength, and I, I got a, a really kind of a chuckle out of his comment on, on how uh, he has mental warfare that's going on in his, in his head concerning his decision. And yeah. like you said, that's exactly what Jay focuses on. But, uh, you know, we broke away a little bit from kind of the tips and techniques, but uh, as, as far as maybe how to pitch a jig or, you know, fish during the fall or something like that. But bottom line, man, there was a, so many jewels that was in his interview that uh, he really added a lot beyond just the fundamentals of fishing. Uh, I think it's important that we do that because I know a lot of uh, look at us. I mean, you know, people that I like watching on TV or listening to, 
I want to know where they came from, and I want to know their story, and I think it's important that all of us share that with people. No question, and, and you know, I just thought his message and, and his achievement of consistency um, and, and kind of tying that into how he breaks his day down, whether it be during a tournament or just a, a day on the water. Bottom line, he had a lot of great stuff to say, and obviously uh, that has taken him a long ways in his career. Yeah, I'm telling you folks, you know, if this is something you have a passion for, don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do it. You get out there and you work hard, and if you really want it bad enough, it'll happen for you. It just You just have to be persistent. I, I totally agree. Hey, we need to move on. We're going to go in the inside edge portion of the edge, and I believe Mr. Lusk, our pond buddy, is going to be on here talking about, what is he talking about? Electronics. He's talking about the electronics, and actually, more specifically, the effect or lack thereof of sonar and the noise that is an energy that is emitted from the transducer. So uh, I'm going to be anxious to, to hear what he has to say about that. All right. Well, let's get out of here. Mr. Skeeter, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Skeet. We'll be right back with Bob Luff right here on The Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us once again this week is Pond Boss Editor and Fisheries Biologist, Mr. Bob Lusk. Uh, Bob, great to have you back. Hey, Aaron. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah, well, you know, we get to kind of dive into some of those uh, topics that, quite frankly, uh, I don't know a lot about, and, and certainly you bring a wealth of information to that. And, and one of the questions that I wanted to get your thoughts and opinion on uh, this week specifically is the, the topic of energy that is emitted uh, really from the transducer, you know, concerning your electronics and the impact that it has on fish, both really in a shallow water situation and, and perhaps also in a deep water situation. you have any opinion on that? You know, that's, Aaron, that's a little bit out of my school, but I, I do have a few thoughts about it. I'll tell you, first of all, you know, sound travels much faster in water than it does in the air. So it can get from point A to point B much more quickly. The way that it affects fish Transducers emit ultrasonic sound waves, and they're a little bit out of the range of what fish can actually hear. But at the same time, I don't have much doubt that the whole exercise of a boat and a motor and a transducer that's emitting a sound wave, albeit whatever the kilohertz is, is gonna is gonna affect the fish. And I'm not sure it's gonna affect it in a negative way. I think it's it's gonna be putting a fish on alert. You know, one of the things that I, I try to think about when I think about making noise, you know, in, in the water is that about 22 or 23 hours a day on a typical day, a largemouth bass is virtually asleep. They don't really sleep like we do, but they do kind of go into a form of some sort of suspended animation where, where they're just out of touch. They don't close their eyes. Their eyes are always open. Their lateral lines are always available, and they can detect movement, and they can detect sound. So while they're sitting there and everything is calm and cool, and, and they're not going to move around a lot until they get ready to go feed or go spawn. But when they hear a sound or they sense movement in the water, it'll startle them. It'll make a move. And sometimes that's the impetus that an angler needs to be able to catch that fish. 
You know, I remember a story that Ray Scott told me that I thought was pretty interesting. He was talking about how we've been taught all of our lives to kind of ease up into a spot and then be really, really quiet, cast into it, and we're going to stand a better chance of catching the fish. Or he was telling me about a, a tournament or two that he was involved in early on where he saw guys ease up, fish a spot, not get a hit, and then ease out and move on. And then a boat run up there real fast, motor full blast, shut the motor down, and catch three fish in that spot. So his theory, and, and I believe I concur with this, is that some noise and some movement sometimes is what it takes to bring a fish out of the doldrums or out of its stupor that it's in, even sitting down 40 or 45 feet. Well, and I think that's a great point because how many times, I know, I know you've seen it, but and, and personally I've witnessed it to where perhaps maybe you're fishing near a swim beach or a, a boat ramp and all of a sudden somebody you know jumps in the water or backs a boat ramp in and creates a disturbance and kind of you know, the water starts moving and may perhaps stirs either the bait fish or the crayfish or something like that, and the, the fish all of a sudden kick in. You know, I, I, so I, I would definitely agree with that. And I guess one of the reasons, you know, about bringing this question up is because it, when you have that transducer, let's say if it's mounted on, on your trolling motor and it's out of the water, you can, you know, feel that ticking water. And one of the times I was actually, uh, it was during the summer, a hot water situation, you know, I stuck my head in the water just to, it was hot, uh, warm enough to get in and just listen to, you know, what that transducer was emitting. I guess my question is, you know, specifically with Bass Edge just coming out with the deep fishing DVD and, and kind of how we do things, um, you know, fishing with a drop shot or a spoon, you know, I just wonder how far down, you know, those fish can actually sense that or even if they can. Well, I'll tell you this, Aaron, human ears can hear sound and tones that range from something like 10 hertz to 20 kilohertz. So we can hear things that fish can't, but at the same time, fish can hear things that we can't because their, theirs range, if I remember right from my studies in college, from like almost no sound up to like one to one and a half kilohertz. So what, what that basically means is that when we hear that clicking, that doesn't mean the fish hear that clicking. They've got a whole different sensory organ than what we've got. You know, when fish tend to, to, to use their lateral line, you know, which is a little clear tube, kind of like a hollow vein that runs from the tail of the fish along the side of the fish inside to its auditory organs, its kind of hearing organs. Well, when it senses movement in the water or it senses a sound in the water, you know, sound waves, it sends a signal to the brain, and then the brain has to interpret it. So... You know, the, the thing about a transducer, it sends that same sound all the way to the bottom and then bounces it back up. So it's pretty much the same sound at 45 feet that it is at 10 feet to a fish. It may not be to us, but it is to a fish. And again, I don't really think that it impacts in a negative way at all. So the, the main thing is, is, is consistency because it sounds to me like that same sound is being transferred throughout the entire time of which you have the unit on or sending the signal. Yes. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would, I would say that is the, the fish, even though they hear it, I don't know that it's going to be a negative. And, but, but by turning off the unit, it stops the, whatever the fish is hearing, if it's in fact hearing it, and that's a stimulus in itself. You, you follow what I'm saying? I, I do, I do. And, the, and I think that adds a whole new light to really the unknown of what effect does it have on the fish because I can say, honestly say, you know, speaking from, 
you know, just personal experience. If, I, if I'm fishing in a shallow situation, and when I, sh- I know shallow is a relative term, but let's say, you know, eight, nine feet or less, you know, chances are you're, you're probably pitching at structure or a, a defined uh, section of the bank, and you probably have a pretty good un- idea or understanding of, of what is there and don't necessarily need those electronics to, you know, read what is directly below you. Maybe you're wanting to keep your, your boat in a certain depth of water. So, you know, normally I would think that it would have more, uh, I guess the question would be more important for me if I'm setting directly over the fish. Yes. And I tell you what, as strange as it sounds, there's been a number of times I've been in a boat doing the very same thing you're talking about, trying to find those critters. And when when my unit's on, it seems like when I'm sitting still and I find some fish, it seems like the numbers oftentimes tend to go up. It's almost like they're congregating around that sound, you know, so... First of all, I'm not positive that they hear it, but I do have a sense as a fisheries biologist that they know something is going on, although I don't know that they can interpret it. Sure. You know, it's a, it, everything with a fish is either based on its instinct in terms of its behavior or conditioning, and I'm not sure they can get conditioned to the sound coming out of a transducer on a depth finder or a fish locator. Well, Bob, once again, uh, just great stuff in helping us to kind of further understand the behavior of bass. And, uh, you know, certainly our listeners can go to BassEdge.com under Ask the Pros, but uh, I know you also have a direct way to, to go directly to Pond Boss. And if you could share that, that would be fantastic. You bet. They can get me at BassEdge.com or they can come straight to me at uh, PondBoss.com and just click on the Contact Us and it'll send an email straight to me and my office manager and I'll be glad to visit. Well, Bob, once again, always a pleasure and look forward to uh, doing it again in the near future. Let's do it. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back on the edge outdoors, Dan Aaron Martin, along with our good question of the week from our good friend Steve in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and it's going to be answered by the pond man, Mr. Pete Ponds himself. And uh, you know, I always do all the talking, so I'll let you do the narrative here, Aaron. Go ahead. <laughs> all right, there we go. The question: Earn your money, will you, Martin? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've got to earn my keep around here. So, uh, Steve's question is: I recently fished a rather large tournament on a Tennessee River lake. I practiced for three days and found some really good areas and caught some good fish during practice. On tournament day, I caught well over 20 fish, but they were all short. My pattern was cranking secondary points, ticking the tops of brush and rocks in about 8 to 12 feet of water. I made the old milk run, hitting eight spots. What could I have done to pull a few keepers out of these areas that were definitely holding fish? And the reply from uh, BASS Elite Angler Bass Edge Pro Staff member, Mr. Pete Ponds. Hey, Steve, what a good question. I've had the same thing happen to me as all of us have. What I do is fish a jig or worm in those treetops and on the rocks. For rocks, use a light weight. Uh, that way you will get hung up less. When you throw a crankbait, a lot of the times uh, you catch the more aggressive fish and pass by the larger ones. This is not always true, but on rivers, it happens very often. 
I always like to downsize my line as much as possible. And of course, he goes back uh, to using the infamous fluorocarbon that we talk a lot about here on. But this will increase your bite on the jig, but will put you to the test on landing them. One thing to think about is you can't get them in the boat if you don't get them on. Hope this helps Pete Ponds. Yeah, that's a good reply. And, you know, Pete's right, man. I love fluorocarbon. You, ever since you got me hooked on that, no pun intended, last year, especially when I'm walleye fishing, I mean, those things just go up there and kiss that leech or so lightly. But with that fluorocarbon, the sensitivity, is, it's like five times better. Yeah, you know, and, and so many times we've talked about sensitivity and transparency. Bottom line, if you're not throwing fluorocarbon, at least try it. You know, bring it into kind of your repertoire of, of uh tools there that you're using, and, and I, I can't help but think that that's not going to give you kind of the added edge uh, when it comes to increasing your bites as well as your hookup percentage. Yeah, yeah, and folks, and we're not pushing a brand. I hope you notice that. We're just talking about the product itself, and I'm telling you, if you want to catch more fish, try fluorocarbon because you're going to feel the fish a lot more than you will on braid or regular monofilament. It, it really made a believer out of me last year. Pete, thank you so much. Great response. Folks, if you got a question, just get to BassEdge.com. Send us a question. We'll get you on the edge. Or we'll even put you in the newsletter. Or you know what? You might even wind up on Aaron's calendar. Of the day. You never know. But it, <laughs> bottom line is, make sure you put your name and address and phone number in there so we can get something to you if you do do that. It's always good to do that. If I need to tell you about it, go check out the latest Bass Edge merchandise. What's up with that? A lot of great stuff going on there. Of course, uh, the economy the way it is. So uh, I know the boys back at the office have been working very hard to come up uh, with some some things that'll that'll keep you uh, basically on the water, help you catch more fish, but uh, not rob your pocketbook at the same time. And then also just kind of throw out a reminder about the iTunes. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been uh, going there to iTunes and giving us the rating. If you have not done so, would love to hear the, what you have to say and what your thoughts are. Uh, yeah, that, check out that Bass Edge Travel Kit. That's new, and I really like that. They've got the monofilament uh, all left over from Aaron. They've kind of good use for that. <laughs> They've got the brand-new Bass Edge flossing kit that's in there so it's all strand strand and whatever Aaron didn't use so there you go yeah and then uh, along with that they've got the chumbly chum toothpaste and uh the bassets deodorant guaranteed to make sure you don't sink your next tournament are you done i am well, I'm, I'm gonna have to get me like one of those mute buttons just so i can finish that <laughs> <laughs> well i had to keep rambling there because i couldn't believe our, i couldn't remember how to say floss i'm, I'm losing there you go so but you know that would be a great gag gift Take all your monofilament line and make a flossing kit out of it and give it away for Christmas. There you go. You know, what? when when we travel, a lot of times we'll use that, take off our old line, and then stick it in somebody's bed, and it feels like you got a snake in there when you put your feet in it. But oh, that's nice. speaking of which, yeah, hey. You, got, you had a snake? No, 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 no. no. Um, but one thing that you did bring up there that just uh, kind of uh, refreshed my memory, you can recycle your fishing line right uh, now. and uh, So I would encourage everybody to take advantage of that. Well, absolutely. I mean, most of the big stores and stuff have uh, vending booths where you can just throw your line in there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, So we always want to recycle if we can. All right. Now that we're done rambling, (laughs) I said now that we're done rambling, I guess we we need to go on to what's uh, what's up next week. Well, I'm not done talking about the travel kit. Well, I I, no, I think you need to be done talking. (laughs) That's at my expense. All right. Well, whatever. Hey, next week we've got one of the monolithic business people of all time, and if you're up in Canada. You know, we're going to have the donut man himself, Tim Horton, on. How did you get Tim Horton donut on? Man, I'm telling you what, don't even bring that up because there was a lawsuit on that whole deal, and I'm not even getting into oh that. Oh, my God, yes. really? Oh, yeah, about his name. They sued him over his name. Well, folks, just forget what I just said. Yeah. Tim Horton. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. 
Tim will be on next week, and then we're going to have Troy Heckerman from the CBAA, which stands for the Collegiate Bass Anglers, Anglers Associated. Did I get it right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great organization. That'll be on the Inside Edge. And don't forget to go to iTunes and rate us and go to Ask the Pros. Anything else, Mr. Martin? Nope, that's it. Folks, for Aaron and I, have a wonderful week. Go wet a line, and thank you for joining us, as always, right here on The Edge. We'll see you next week. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, MegaWare Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.